All right. So the text for this evening is Psalm 78, verse 15. It's really short, so I'll just read it real quick here. Psalm 78, verse 15, a psalm of Asaph. He split rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink as abundant as the depths. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that um, you didn't conceal yourself from us, but you revealed yourself to us um, in your word. So I pray you would open our eyes and hearts to see you more clearly and to love you. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So here in the verse, again, I'll read it again. He splits rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink as abundant as the depths. So we're seeing here uh, God's faithfulness to Israel in the past. So this is Asaph reflecting on ways God had been faithful. And he's actually alluding to two different texts in the Old Testament, or two different instances in which uh, the rocks were split in the wilderness and water came out. And he's talking about Exodus 17 and Numbers 20. We'll come back to those later. The main message of this verse is God provides abundantly for his rebellious covenant people. Again, the main message of this verse is God provides abundantly for his rebellious covenant people. So there's three main points. Um, one, Israel didn't believe God. So we see that in Exodus 17. Two, we see that Moses didn't believe God. We see that in Numbers 20. And three, God still provides. So those are the three points. Israel didn't believe God, Exodus 17. Moses didn't believe God, Numbers 20. And three, God still provides despite their unbelief. So main point one, Israel didn't believe God. Um, so if you have a pew Bible or if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Exodus 17, verse 2 through 7. I'm going to read through that. And if someone um, who's using a pew Bible can tell me what page number that is, that's Exodus 17, verses 2 through 7. 61. All right, so if you, have, if you have a pew Bible, it's page 61. <clears throat> All right, Exodus 17, verses 2 through 7. So the people complained to Moses, give us water to drink. Why are you complaining to me? Moses replied to them. Why are you testing the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water and grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you ever bring us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what should I do with these people? In a little while, they will stone me. The Lord answered Moses, go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take the staff you struck the Nile with in your hand and go. I'm going to stand there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. So here you're seeing God's presence on the rock. When you hit the rock, Water will come out of it, and the people will drink. Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. He named the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites complained and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? <clears throat> so here in this uh, text, you see three things going on with the Israelites. They're not believing God, and they're not trusting in his purposes, not trusting in his provision, and not trusting in his presence. They don't believe he's there. So first, these are kind of sub points here. But first you see in verse 3, 
um, it says, they said, why did you ever bring us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So here you see Israel is not believing in God's purposes. God is promising them a land. He's setting apart a land for them, for their good. God loves Israel. Those are his covenant people. He has good purposes for why he's bringing them through the wilderness. But they don't trust God's purposes. They question it and they say, are you trying to kill us? Like, what are you trying to do? So there's questioning God's purposes. Second, you see they question God's provision. You see that in verse 7 where it says, the Israelites complained. So they were complaining because they just didn't trust that God was going to provide. They felt thirst and their instant response was, God isn't going to provide. There was very little trust in the God, that, the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, the God that they've known. And third, you see, they don't trust God's presence. You see at the end of verse 7, they say, is the Lord among us or not? They question, they go from, ah, he's not providing for us. I don't know if I can trust his purposes. He's probably just not with us. We don't even know if he's with us anymore. So there's a deep sinful cynicism here and just lack of belief in what God has said about himself and what he's promised to do. So that's Israel and that's in Exodus. Next, maybe point number two, Moses didn't believe God. So in, in Exodus, we see Moses wasn't sinning here. Or we don't, doesn't seem like he was. But uh, in this second point, we see a different story. So now turn with me to Numbers chapter 20, verses 8 through 13. Again, that's Numbers 20, verses 8 through 13. And if someone with a pew Bible can let me know what page number that is. Page 133 in your pew Bible. <clears throat> All right. Numbers 20, verse 8 through 13. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he had commanded him. Seems so far so good. The Lord commanded him to do it, and he did it. Verse 10. Moses and Aaron summoned the assembly in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring water out of this rock for you? Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with his staff so that abundant water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me to demonstrate my holiness in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this assembly into the land I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord and he demonstrated his holiness to them. So it seemed like at the beginning of, this ver of these verses that Moses was obeying God. God commanded him to do it, and he did it. So why did, they, why did he get punished? Why did he say, because you didn't trust me, you're not going to see the land I've given you? Um, why was Moses striking the rock an expression of his distrust in God? That's the question I had when reading this text. And we have to recall um, that God's presence was on the rock. So back in Exodus, it says, I am going, God saying, I'm going to stand there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. So when Moses struck the rock twice, it was an expression of Moses' frustration and anger towards God. He saw the, the Israelites and how frustrating they were, and even look at the, the, the way he talks about them. He says, you rebels, like clearly he's frustrated. Um, he's not, he's, and his frustration towards Israel, uh, even though it might just seem like a Moses and Israel thing, I'm frustrated with Israel, He's actually, there's a deeper root here. He has an attitude of frustration towards God. 
why would you give me these people that I have to lead? They're so frustrating. And he hits the rock twice out of frustration. And that's where God's presence was. It was on the rock. So really it was an expression of discontentment and frustration towards God. Just a piece of application. Um, I'm sure that attitude is not foreign to a lot of us. Um, parents, I'm sure there's plenty of times where you've, maybe you didn't say you rebels, but that spirit is there like, ah, just annoyed. If there were a rock, you'd probably hit it three or four times. <laughs> but there's that frustration. And it's not just parents. It's people with roommates, um, people with just friends, people to interact with any other human. That's a very common experience. And I think what we're seeing here, um, that frustration towards the people that God puts in our lives is actually an expression of frustration and discontentment and unbelief in what God has given us. Um, it's actually towards, it's a sin against God. Um, and I think the reason why we can say from this text it's that serious, God saw it as serious enough to say, you will not bring this assembly into the land I've given them. Um, they get punished. Um, even though Moses was technically obeying, he was technically following the commands of God, um, his heart was not right with God. His disposition towards God was not um, honoring to him. It didn't display trust in the Lord. So main point three, despite all of this unbelief and uh, sinful attitude towards the Lord, God still provides. So despite Israel and Moses' unbelief, he graciously decides to still give them water. God didn't let them die of thirst in the wilderness. Again, the verse says, in verse, uh, Psalm 78 says, he split the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink as abundant as the depths. So not only did he just give them a little bit of water, despite how sinful they've been, he gives them abundant water despite their sinfulness, despite their disobedience. God provided despite unbelief. And the grounds for this provision, why, why would God still provide despite sin? The grounds for this provision he gives is his covenant love towards his people. Israel where it was God's chosen people that he had set his affection on, um, that he had chosen to love. And despite their repetitive, you see throughout, all throughout the Old Testament, the consistent unbelief, the consistent sin, God continues to um, provide for his children. So as an uh, application here, the Israelites and Moses' unbelief, it's not unique to them. Um, these are examples of our natural tendency as sinners as well, our natural tendency to not believe and trust in God's presence, his provision, and his purposes. In our own unbelief, we too doubt God and his promises. Here's just a few examples of some promises in scripture and ways that I, at least I know in my heart I fail and I don't believe these promises well. So when God promises that there are pleasures at his right hand forevermore, oftentimes we choose to not believe him and we sin instead. We believe that sin offers more pleasure than God, even though he said he has ultimate pleasure. When God promises that I'm with you always to the end of the age, we fail to believe him when we're controlled by fear and anxiety, leading us to try and control our own circumstances through manipulation and sin rather than trusting in God's presence. When God promises he will supply our every need and or every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, we instead try to supply our own needs according to our own wisdom and our own worldly riches. Our superficial rest comes from our own sense of self-sufficiency rather than a deep rest and trust in God's provision. 
When God promises, he works all things for the good, those who love him and are called according to his purpose, we instead fail to believe in his purposes. And we see our trials as pointless pain that is only hurting and it's not accomplishing anything. God's not involved. He's not here. And we call God a liar when he says he's in here in this verse, in Romans 8, 28, that he has good purposes for all things, including trials. Like Moses, we instead angrily strike the rock. We convince God, being convinced that God is withholding good from us, that he's not good to us. We believe that lie. So here's the gospel. Here's the bad news of the gospel. Our sinful response to God's gracious provision, presence, and purposes deserves punishment. God is holy. He didn't have to provide anything for us. Um, we're sinful, and sin and holiness cannot go together. God is right to punish sin. Instead of striking us with his righteous wrath, he struck the solid rock, Jesus, who took the wrath of our sin upon himself so that he could give us drink as abundant as the depths, so that he could give us life in him. Jesus says in John 7, verse 37, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes me, as scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. The rock in the wilderness points to Christ. Christ was struck so that he may abundantly give us eternal life in him. He was struck so that those of us who are not his covenant people can be grafted in to his covenant love and his promises so that we might be a covenant people. This is the comfort of the Christian. If you repent of your sin and trust in Christ, you are a part of that covenant family because of Christ's work, not because of your own. But if you're not a Christian and you're here today, God is also speaking to you, but you're not covenanted with God and his promises don't apply to you and his wrath is still directed towards you. But Jesus took the punishment of our sin so that we wouldn't have to be excluded from his covenant love and forgiveness as we are made one with Jesus when we put our faith in Jesus. This covenant is only for those who turn from their sin and trust in Christ who resurrected from the dead victorious over sin and death. So turn away from your empty cisterns that can't hold water and come to the rock, Jesus, who has living water so you won't ever thirst again. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you provide all of our needs. Um, even when we feel that we're being shortchanged by you um, or moments where we doubt you, we doubt your purpose, we doubt your presence, we doubt your love. Lord, help us to fight lies, help us to repent. Help us to see you as good and realize that even in trials, you're good to us. They aren't wasted. Pain is not wasted. Lord, um, you have a good purpose for those things, to accomplish your will, to sanctify us, and to give us a joy that we can't even understand right now. So, Lord, I pray you would give us faith, eyes of faith to see that, to love you and cherish you more. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.